Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. The 2021 Professional Football Researchers Association Convention will be held at the Gold Jacket Lounge at the Pro Football Hall of Fame during the final weekend of June. Convention speakers will celebrate the 100th anniversary of the founding of the NFL. The fee for the convention is $50 for members and $100 for non-members. The fee includes admission to the convention and Pro Football Hall of Fame, meals on Friday evening and Saturday afternoon, and free parking. All convention activities are subject to COVID-19 protocols. For more details, Click on the 2021 PFRA convention link at profootballresearchers.org. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. It's time for Lombardi Memory. A show that takes you back in time, into January or February, to the greatest one-day spectacle in all of sports. This is the Every Other Tuesday podcast that looks back at each and every one of the 50-plus Super Bowls and tells the story of who won and why. For the fan who needs more than just a box score, this podcast goes drive-by-drive, play-by-play, through the most dramatic games in history. I'm your host, Tommy A. Phillips, and you can visit my website at TommyAPhillips.com where you can find all of my books. Today we have Super Bowl XII, which was held on January 15, 1978, in the Superdome, in New Orleans, Louisiana, the first ever Super Bowl at the Louisiana Superdome, between the first-time AFC champion Denver Broncos and the four-time NFC champion, Dallas Cowboys. As always, we have a pop quiz and then homework at the end of the episode. The pop quiz question for today is, what dubious record did Dallas set in this game that still stands today? The answer will come at the end of the podcast. The Denver Broncos had a magical year in 1977, After 17 fruitless seasons where they failed to make the playoffs and in many cases had a losing record. Red Miller came in as head coach and turned things around. The Broncos won their first six games of the year, then won another six games in a row after a mid-season loss to Oakland. With nothing to play for in their season finale, they lost to Dallas to finish up the season at 12-2, the best record in the AFC. The Broncos beat Pittsburgh 34-21 in the divisional round, and the Oakland Raiders, they beat them to 2017 in the AFC Championship game with both games in Denver 
to advance to their first Super Bowl. The Broncos were led by quarterback Craig Borden, who threw for just under 2,000 yards. He threw for 14 touchdowns and just 8 interceptions. Borden, of course, had led Dallas to Super Bowl V. Now he'd be going up against his former team. The Broncos didn't have one main running back. It was more of a back-by-committee. Otis Armstrong had 489 yards and four touchdowns to lead the team, but right behind him were Lonnie Perrin with 456 yards, Rob Lytle with 408, and John Keyword with 311. Riley Odoms led the receiving corps with 37 catches, while Haven Moses had the most yards with 539 and the most touchdowns with four. The Dallas Cowboys were, as usual, one of the top horses in the NFC. They started out the season 8-0, with many of those victories quite decisive. After a pair of mid-season losses, the Cowboys closed the season with four straight wins, including the aforementioned Week 14 victory over Denver. Dallas finished 12-2 and with the best record in the NFC. They crushed Chicago 37-7 in the divisional round, before beating Minnesota 23-6 in the NFC Championship game, both games in Dallas. That gave them their fourth NFC title in eight years. Quarterback Roger Staubach, as usual, was brilliant. He threw for over 2,600 yards and 18 touchdowns and just nine interceptions for a passer rating of 87.0. Rookie running back Tony Dorsett Fresh off a national championship with Pitt, rushed for just over 1,000 yards and 12 touchdowns, while catching 29 passes for another 273 yards and a touchdown. The Pearsons, Drew and Preston, led the way in receiving. Drew caught 48 passes for 870 yards and a couple of scores. Preston caught another 46 for 535 yards and four scores. The big story going into the Super Bowl, though, had nothing to do with either team's offense. It was all about the defenses. You had Dallas's doomsday defense against Denver's orange crust defense. Both teams had lots of playmakers on the defensive side of the ball, and they figured that the better defense would win the Super Bowl. By the end of this game, though, one of these teams would be so dominant on defense that the voters couldn't even pick a single MVP. The Cowboys tried a trick play on the first play of the game. They went with a reverse that was going to be a flea flicker back to Saba. However, receiver Butch Johnson dropped the ball, and he was tackled by linebacker Tom Jackson for a loss of nine. The Cowboys ended up punting but linebacker Tom Henderson hit Broncos receiver Rick Upchurch before he could catch the kick. It was a 15-yard penalty on Dallas. Morton completed a third-down pass to Moses for a first down at the Dallas 35, gaining 20 yards. But defensive tackle Randy White sacked Morton for an 11-yard loss, and Denver had the punt. Receiver Tony Hill muffed the kick, but he was lucky to have teammate Charlie Waters fall on the ball at his own one. Staubach threw to Dorsett for 15 yards, but the Cowboys were soon forced to punt, 
and Denver had good field position. Waters put heavy pressure on Borden, and defensive back Randy Hughes came up with an interception. That turned the field position in Dallas's favor. Staubach then hit tight end Billy Joe Dupree for a first down at the 12. Dorsett ran the ball on three of the next four plays, and he scored standing up on a fourth and inches play, giving Dallas the 7-0 lead. Gordon's next pass was intercepted by defensive back Aaron Kyle, and he returned it inside the Denver 35. Newhouse ran for nine yards, and then Dorsett broke off a long run all the way down inside the five. Staubach was sacked by defensive tackle Ruben Carter and defensive end Lau Elzado, forcing a field goal try. Kicker Efren Herrera made a 35-yard field goal, and Dallas went up 10-0 at the end of the first quarter. The Broncos were forced to punt on their next possession. Staubach threw a screen to Preston Pearson, getting the Cowboys into Denver territory. Newhouse then took a pitch for a first down at the 43. Dupree hauled in a pass for 18 yards, and Dorsett took the ball into the red zone. However, Staubach got chased out of bounds for a sack on a play where he tossed it up after he was out of bounds and it was intercepted, but the play was already over. So Dallas had to settle for a 43-yard Herrera field goal to go up 13-0. Morton got picked off again on his next pass. This one to defensive back Benny Barnes. The Broncos forced a Dallas punt, but the kick went off the helmet of receiver John Schultz, and linebacker Bruce Huther recovered for Dallas. Dorsett then took a draw to get down, get a first down inside the 20. The, the Cowboys ended up settling for a 43-yard field goal attempt by Herrera, but he missed it wide to the left. Morton completed a pass to receiver Jack Dalbin, only for him to fumble. Hughes was there to recover for Dallas, and he returned it to the Denver 26. Dorsett ran for 8 yards to start the new drive, and Newhouse got 10 yards down inside the 10. However, after the 2-minute warning, Herrera tried a short field goal, and he missed it wide to the right. Warren passed to Odoms, and now he fumbled too, and Hughes recovered this fumble as well. However, on the next play, Dupree fumbled away a reception to Tom Jackson, who picked it up. The Broncos now had a chance at scoring. Lytle ran for a pair of first downs, getting the Bronx down to the Dallas 40 with 17 seconds left. But Morton then threw his fourth interception of the first half, a new record, or, or at least tied record, and uh, this one went to defensive back Mark Washington. Now, this gave Dallas a chance to score, and Staubach threw a score pass to Pearson to get to the 27 with just one second left in the clock. But Herrera missed a third field goal try which this one was from 44 yards. He missed wide to the left, and that meant Denver was still in the game at halftime, only down 13. The Broncos got the ball to start the second half. On the second play, Armstrong took his first carry of the second half 
for 18 yards. Morton ran the option with a flip to Keyworth for five more yards, but the Broncos soon for, faced fourth down. They decided to go with a fake punt. Punter Bucky Diltz got tackled side of the marker, but the Cowboys had 12 men on the field, so it gave Denver a first down. Keyworth then took a draw to get into field goal range, and kicker Jim Turner, veteran of Super Bowl III with the New York Jets, made a 47-yard field goal, the longest in Super Bowl history at the time. As of today, it stands as a tie for the fifth longest in Super Bowl history. The Broncos cut their deficit to 10. As the second quarter went on, both players had team both teams had players dropping like flies. There were injuries galore, and players such as Broncos linebacker Randy Gratisar and Cowboys running back Tony Dorsett were getting pulled off the field. The heavy hitting of the two defenses was a big factor in this. The teams exchanged punts, and Dallas got the ball back at their own 41. Staubach scrambled for six yards, then he threw to Drew Pearson for a 13-yard gain. Facing third and long a little bit later, Staubach threw a bomb to Butch Johnson down the middle of the field, and Johnson dropped the ball as he hit the ground, but the officials ruled that he had possession over the goal line before the ball came out. In today's NFL, this would likely have been called an incomplete pass. Instead, it went down as a 45-yard touchdown to put Dallas up 20-3. Upchurch nearly saved the game for Denver by returning the ensuing kickoff 65 yards. It was the longest kickoff return in Super Bowl history at the time. Backup quarterback Norris Weiss entered the game on Miller's direction because Miller thought that Morton was too immobile for the Dallas pass rush. Running back Jim Jensen took the ball down to the one on a fourth down play, and Lytle managed to pop over from a yard out to cut the Dallas lead to 10 at the end of the third quarter. On Dallas's next possession, Staubach threw to Dupree for a first down at his own 33, then he hit Johnson for a first down at midfield. Receiver Golden Richards hauled one in for nine more yards, and Newhouse got a first down inside the 40. However, Jackson stripped Staubach of the ball, and Carter recovered for Denver. The Broncos now still had a chance, but they were forced to punt after three incomplete lease passes. Staubach was now ailing, and Danny White took over at quarterback. He ran a quarterback draw for 12 yards, but then the Cowboys were soon forced to punt with Staubach coming back into the game briefly. The Broncos got the ball back with what they thought was really their last chance. On third down, Weiss fumbled the ball away, and Powell recovered it for Dallas. So on the very next play, Newhouse took a handoff to his left, threw to the end zone for Richards, and it was a touchdown. It was a 30-yard play, and it put the game out of reach. Dallas led 27-10 with seven minutes left. On Denver's last possession, Weiss got his team downfield into scoring range. However, on a fourth down, 
we threw a perfect pass to Upchurch, which the receiver just flat out dropped. The Cowboys took over on downs and ran the clock out with defensive tackle Randy White and defensive end Harvey Martin sharing MVP honors. Dallas committed 12 penalties in this game, and that is the answer to today's pop quiz. The Cowboys set a Super Bowl record for most penalties committed by one team in a game. It's a record that still stands today, albeit tied by Carolina in Super Bowl 38. We had co-MVPs for the first time ever, the only time ever, mainly because the voters wanted to give the award to the entire Dallas defense, but they settled for naming two MVPs. But if I were to pick a different MVP, i pick defensive back Randy Hughes. He had the interception and two fumble recoveries, and um, he helped put pressure on Craig Morton. Yes, he was in the right place at the right time, but he still had to make those plays. He was part of an absolutely smothering Dallas defensive attack. Think about how well the Buccaneers just destroyed the Chiefs offensive line in Super Bowl 55. That's how much the Dallas defense dominated in this game. For MVP of the losing team, I'd have to go with linebacker Tom Jackson. Not because he became an ESPN guy, but because he made several big plays for either tackles or loss or turnovers. He helped keeping kept he helped to keep the Broncos still in the game. But how about the least valuable player? That's an easy one. That was Craig Morton. His four first half interceptions tied a Super Bowl record. And he, remember, he was awful in Super Bowl V, but he was even more awful in this game. Would Denver have had a chance if Weiss had started the whole game? We'll never know. What we do know is that this was one of the worst quarterback performances in Super Bowl history. The biggest play of the game was the bomb from Staubach to Johnson. Denver looked to still be in the game at this point, but when Staubach hit Johnson, the Cowboys essentially put the game away. Johnson may not have actually made that catch, though. He was lucky that the officials of his day counted that as a touchdown catch and not an incomplete pass. The biggest play no one remembers is Upchurch's 65-yard kickoff return. That set up a touchdown for the Broncos, their only one of the day. Yes, the Broncos lost, but that touchdown at least gave them a chance. If we could have only gotten something going against the Dallas attack, maybe they would have come back. Upchurch set a Super Bowl record for the longest kickoff return that has long been forgotten, having been broken in Super Bowl 17 by Miami's Fulton Walker and many other times since. The best player that no one remembers from this game. Well, that's obvious. It was Weiss in a losing effort. He played very well in relief of Morton. He played about as good as he could have played against that pass rush, which gave him no time to throw. And again, if he had started the game instead of Morton, who knows what? Um, 
Okay, so now we come to the point of the game, or the show, not the game, uh, that I recommend some homework. So here we go. In my hands, I have this book called The Dallas Cowboys by Joe Nick Potofsky. And it's subtitled The Outrageous History of the Biggest, Loudest, Most Hated, Best Loved Football Team in America. And uh, this doesn't just have Super Bowl 12 in it. It has, like, everything about the Dallas Cowboys in it. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it is pretty thick. Got some good pictures in here. Yeah, definitely something you want to pick out. Um, you, you want to know about anything about the Cowboys, it's in this book. So that's the one to go with. So that brings us to the end of this podcast. The Cowboys win the Super Bowl 12, 27 and they won their second Super Bowl in team history and next time two weeks from now they are going to play in their fifth super bowl in the 70s decade they're going to go up against who else the pittsburgh steelers who can win this shootout between roger staubach and terry bradshaw the answer will come in two weeks or you can always look it up if you don't know already uh, this is Tommy A. Phillips signing off. You can find my stuff at TommyAPhillips.com. Got some great books there. Until then, so long. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.